You are listening to Scotland's Ear to the Ground, the podcast that brings you interviews with Scotland's finest composers. Your hosts are Aileen Sweeney and Ben Eames. Fergus Hall is a composer and musician from the west of Scotland whose creative practice is focused around how a musician can act as a creative facilitator. This stems from Fergus's interest in jazz and traditional music practices, which often blur the distinction between composer and performer. As a composer, he has been commissioned by Glasgow New Music Exposition, Nevis Ensemble, Sound of Music, Making Music UK and Comar. This summer, a new album of string music recorded in collaboration with Sequoia will be released, which we are very excited to hear more about today. Hello, how's it going? Hello, how are you? We're good. Yeah. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. So before we talk about the album with Sequoia, we'd love to hear about the rather unusual project you've been working on over the last few months called On Sonorous Seas. Yeah, so a couple of years ago at this point, I was approached by an artist called Vary Killen, who's a uh, visual artist and uh, practitioner based on Iona. And uh, she's very lovely and got in touch with me about a project that she had already kind of got underway that's looking at the um, anthropomorphic impacts of the ecology of the Hebrides, particularly sound and um, the cetacean population. So it kind of all started when um, in 2018 there was a mass stranding event of Cuvier beaked whales are kind of a small species of whale, very deep diving. One of like the deepest diving animals on the planet, actually, for their size, which is quite remarkable, because the other one is like a sperm whale, which is huge, because <laughs> cuvies are quite wee for a whale. <laughs> Still pretty huge, but um, but a lot of them washed up in the Hebrides and in, in Ireland and Iceland and whatnot in a very unusual way, like very sudden and um, very kind of unprecedented. And it's kind of since been very much linked to military operations um, in the area, particularly the Joint Warrior exercises, which are some of the largest strategic military operations in Europe. And they use a lot of sonar. So that was the kind of impetus for Vary and creating that project. And she approached me about doing some sound design and doing some music. And uh, the really fun part about this for me um, was that all of the material I had to work with was hydrophone recordings taken by the Hebridean Whale and Dolphin Trust. And um, I then had to create some sound design from that. Now, the plan is that Vi is creating an installation. You know, she's, she's a visual artist as well as working kind of an installation and photography and very much multimedia. And um, this music's going to accompany that, essentially. It's going to open in Tobermory um, at the start of July, um, which I'm very excited about. And then eventually it'll move on to Iona and uh, possibly further afield after that. But those are the kind of the two main ones at the moment as well as accompanying the exhibition, it will be released as, a, as an album because it's uh, you know long enough to kind of constitute <laughs> an album. So uh, I, I'm so excited to put that out. Could you talk us through the main sections of the piece and what sounds have been used to create the various sonorities? Sure thing. So I was thinking a lot in the music about sort of imagined spaces and this idea of the kind of massive void of distance between ourselves and, and whales, I think because it can be very... In, easy 
to romanticize it a little bit and be like, we're just like them. Like, we're really not. Like, <laughs> there's some interesting, obviously, biological connections, obviously, and air and breathing being one of those things, which is kind of interesting, but then always aware of this space, particularly when these hydrophone recordings are noisy as anything. Like, you know, you're getting glimpses of sounds that might be an orca. You know, it's things like that. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to play on that. Um, so in the first section of it, um, which is called baleen orca and boat noise. So there's these beautiful, very distant calls of, of orca, which is amazing. And uh, obviously you've got these real resonant frequencies in the water as well because of the boat noise. So kind of playing with that and and kind of thinking about the way, the idea of beachcombing and the kind of artifact nature of, of things, particularly to do with whales, of people really cherish these things. And we're kind of exploring that a little bit in the project. Yeah, so then that kind of transitions into dolphin clicks and whistles because we've got some amazing recordings of dolphins that are very clear. I think they, they seem to get a bit closer to the boats, I think. But then we then introduce an, the singer Leah Shaw, who features in it. We like the idea of voice because kind of of the lamenting, sort of keening things we wanted to think about, not, not replicate, but think about, as well as the breath and whatnot. I kind of wanted to play with that. I wanted to see how abstracted I can make this voice. So I suggested we should work with Leah Shaw, who is amazing. I also um, have been going out with her for quite a while, but <laughs> I did say, I mean, she's also the best for the job. So she then comes in and I had a lot of fun with that, um, chopping up the vocals like really intensely, layering and we just did it in, in our flat which was really good fun at one point um i vocoded <laughs> leah and a dolphin <laughs> it was cool i mean, again it sounds nuts but it's worked so well so you know taking essentially the the i guess you know if you had a vocoder and you're speaking the speaking part is actually the dolphin clicks whereas the synth or something you'd be playing is actually just layered up leah's um, so you get this like weird rhythm, really intense rhythm of a dolphin click, but with pitched kind of vocal qualities, it's quite cool. And it like flies about your head and everything, it's, it's good fun.
how can you not like Leah singing with a dolphin? It's great. She basically does a duet with a dolphin. Like it's, it's absolutely awesome. I love when you met like four or five years ago. Like who would have thought? Who'd have thought it? Been yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, dolphins. Totally. Like, I know, I know. In that moment, you're like, hey, what do you do? I'm a composer. I'm a singer. And it's like, well, have I got a gig for you? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard of the whale and dolphin population of the Outer Hebrides? Uh, <laughs> have you ever heard of it? <laughs> what a line. Yeah, I know, totally. <laughs> And then, uh, and then we kind of go into, after that, we kind of go into a bit of sonar. So obviously sonar is the kind of main problem with here. You know, I'm looking at boat noise and, and whatnot. And sonar is really interesting. Is um, an amazing book called Fathoms that's about kind of anthropomorphic effects on on, on cetaceans. And um, the writer actually does, makes a really interesting comparison of anthropomorphic sound and deforestation uh, of that idea of it's actually cutting off habitat and it's like separating breeding populations. Because if you imagine if you're an animal that, experiences most of your world through sound and suddenly you've got like shipping lanes um add which is the anti-seal stuff that happens in fish farms and and obviously sonar you know you're literally cutting like lines across the ocean basically that are impenetrable to say a, a whale population trying to find another whale population or trying to migrate um so sonar is obviously a big theme in this and because we have these like quite intense recordings of sonar so that next section is, is sort of a little glimpse into that. Yeah, so when I was really weird, it's way higher pitched than I thought it would be. But then it has that really interesting quality of when you then pitch shift it down, you then find there's crazy frequencies above. section we've got a minky whale and more dolphins it's nuts like talking about this is the first time i've actually had to speak like a lot about this piece actually so just so daft um they have such an amazing sound they like thump really low and it actually pops up all over the piece like i kind of say it in this movement because it's quite prominent but it actually pops up all over doing a lot of things where you're vocoding the minky whale to other sounds so you're not actually hearing the minky whale but you're hearing the rhythm of the minky whale that happens a lot and in that movement, actually, as well, there's a lot of moments where I've kind of synthesized instrument sounds from these clicks and things. So there's a big theme of it, again, is sort of thinking about organs, like, you know, the instrument chamber organs and harmoniums and kind of accordions and those types of instruments. Partly through coincidence, because when I actually put the, these clicks through these processes of, like, basically playing a single click really fast to create a frequency, they just sounded like organs. Like, straight away, you're like, wow, what a great sound. Thematically, this is a little bit of a religiosity to it I guess maybe a little bit of a requiem sort of feel but then also linked I guess to folk music as well and again instruments that use air uh, and then we're gonna have more sonar and it's kind of similar as before but just way more intense in that I was just pumping these sonar sounds through really intense processing it's all from sonar it's like every single part of that is, is sonar there's no whales or anything in that section kind of quite specifically really I'm trying to create this wall of sound you know that, that idea of just that impenetrable massive noise basically
Um, and then the final one is uh, is actually the name is actually less to do with the sounds and more just kind of symbol that or sort of image that Barry and I spoke a lot about, which is a whale fall. And a whale fall is when a whale dies, and it sinks. And normally at the surface, it'll float about for a bit and, um, you know, sharks or seabirds or whatever scavenging it, and then eventually it will sink. Once those gases dissipate, it will sink down. And particularly in the deepest parts of the ocean, where you basically don't have, you've got a lot of life, but it's sustained by microscopic particles that just fall. But when a whale carcass lands there, it's like the equivalent to about a thousand years of that microscopic snow. Um, and it obviously just gets completely recycled you know this massive animal gets recycled by these tiny animals so again that's just this idea of like an, it starts off with a small sort of accordion sized thing playing playing the music and then the music just stays the same it loops for ages but i've just kind of transported it into then a little chamber organ into a little kind of church organ into like a big pipe organ um all from the same dolphin click um and it just floats away basically
Um, well, going from one album to the next, you're you're very close to releasing a new album in collaboration with Sequoia, as we mentioned. Um, so the album features new music for String Duo, written by a handful of different Scottish composers. Can you tell us a wee bit about the project? Sure. You know, I will say that I'm definitely not one of those people that's like, oh, I've got this album coming out and I've got this other one too. It's what <laughs> COVID does to projects, right? These things yeah. were meant to happen like a year and a half apart. You know what I mean? It's like, that's how it goes. Um, so yeah, I'm doing this project with Sequoia. So Sequoia, an amazing string duo based in Glasgow. And they are uh, Sonia Cromarty and Ash Rickards, who are two amazing musicians. Yeah, I think this started when I wrote loads of string music. And um, I think it's because I got a wee bit obsessed with string writing for a little bit. Um, I got really back into playing the violin, having played as a kid and been rubbish, like never very good and never really liked it because I, I didn't practice and I was impatient and we the way that little kids sometimes can be. Um, but then I kind of rediscovered it a little bit towards the end of my undergrad and just suddenly I was a, you know, a composer and I wanted to improvise and do all that. So that was, that was really inspiring to my musical process for, and it still is in a big way. And yeah, I wrote, I wrote the string duo music. And I wrote this big duet, really interested in then words and text within that and kind of some spoken stuff. You know, I do really like a bit of poetry, particularly kind of 20th century Scottish poetry. And I was exploring that. So I wrote this big duo that I think we're going to talk about in a second um, called uh, Crossing the Semeto. And I wrote that not really for anyone. It wasn't like commissioned or anything. I honestly just wrote that because I wanted to really develop my string writing and explore that poetry and... And I wrote it in my studies and no, you know, it didn't get played or anything, but I knew it probably wouldn't. But I kind of maybe had plans of like, maybe one day I'll do something like this. Basically, I'll maybe see if I can make an album work. And then we managed to get this project off the ground um, to to work with Sequoia. And uh, I was able to get a bit of funding from Creative Scotland. And I got a wee bit of top up funding from the Hope Scott Trust, which is really exciting. And I'd never done that before. So it was, it was a tricky process, but, you know, learned a lot doing it and, uh, because I had this music and I was like, cool, we're going to record this. Sequoia are on board. They were, they were amazing. They were like really up for it. And I thought, okay, so it's a load of my music. I'd like to pad this out. So it's a wee bit longer, but also I'd kind of like to think about this as though it's like a program. Um, and who else would I want on this? And I kind of thought I want like a bit of a dream team of, of um, Scottish composers who maybe haven't had a load of music recorded professionally. So I, I thought who that could be. So we've got Ryland Gleave, some music by Sonia Kilman and some music by your good self, Aileen Sweeney. Just fantastic. I know you're like sitting there buzzing, couldn't we? Dream team. <laughs> uh, dream team, absolutely dream team. Um, so we're just about to listen to a bit of Crossing the Semeto. Before we do so, could you tell us a little bit about how you discovered Hamish Henderson and his poetry? Yeah, so in the opening of the 2014 Commonwealth Games, um, there was a performance by an, a South African mezzo-soprano called Pumuza Machikiza um, singing what I at the time thought was a Scottish trad folk tune you know like a really old one and it sounded great and it was really beautiful and I think I think Phil Cunningham was playing with her and stuff and uh and then I think I had to sing something at a gig like a kind of Barnsy sort of gig but it wasn't didn't need to be Barnes or whatever and I was like what was that song and I looked up looked it up and it's uh, Freedom Kamoyi by Hamish Henderson and he's quite an amazing guy who's like or orphaned at quite a young age and kind of ed went through various education and ended up at Cambridge at one point um, studying and all through just scholarships and things because, you know, he, he didn't really have anyone. Like, he, you know, he's quite an amazing guy in that way. Um, and he's fluent in, in a handful of European languages as well as Gaelic at that point. And then he ended up fighting in the Second World War in North Africa and um, fought their way through Africa and then um, through Sicily and then into Italy. So he was actually there in Rome when... The, Italy surrendered and they were the first Axis power to do so. So it was like big turning point. And Hamish Henderson through being 
in the intelligence corps and um, you know kind of being quite upfront in that whole situation, wrote the Italians' address of surrender that went out. He was 26 when he did that, which is bonkers. Because yeah. that's how old I am. <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> it's wild. But through all this, he was then writing poetry and he mm. wrote this war poetry, quite a lot of war poetry, very interesting poetry uh, in that he takes quite an interesting stance on it. And it's quite egalitarian in the sense of he's thinking about the sort of everyday soldier within that. And yeah, it's very beautiful poetry. Um, but there's actually also a recording of Henderson reciting that poetry from much later, which is which is something really beautiful because he's a much older man reciting this poetry he wrote as a very young man. And I was really drawn to this poetry mainly because I was a total Hamish Henderson geek. I found that recording, which was amazing. And then also, um, I think the fact that he wrote it when he was basically the age that I was at the time, I think it was that kind of was really blown away by that. And yeah, I just wanted to write this music. Titan dreamed on into brilliant morning, and suspended from clouds was asleep like a bat in the ocean of summer, a blue leviathan. Thank you. 
Moment. Drink up your fill, parched trough of the tomato, for blood has streamed into wanton libations, and tell of the hills hard master Detino, where broke with our onslaught the German iron. On two sticks is tuned for the game. Callum Moore, Mark Bain for Argyle. The piece is filled with quite a lot of unusual techniques and timbres in the, the string writing. How did you come up with these sounds and in turn relate them to the text? So it was really influenced at the time by the fact I was really into the violin. Mm. As and the violin kind of as a general word for string instruments, but obviously the violin being the one that I played. And being a free improviser and not being a very good violinist, but I guess good at maybe improvising, like on that instrument. I think I really enjoyed playing that instrument in that I was old enough to not overthink it and that I just really enjoyed it. Like I wasn't trying to like, you know, it was something I did as a bit of a hobby was playing violin and got really into the kind of free improvising sort of scene. And there's something really lovely about a string instrument, I think about that if you think hard enough, you can kind of make any sound that you can hear a little bit. I think it's something about a string and that, you know, something so tactile about it. So loads of the wacky sounds that are in this piece are just from me just scrubbing away on the violin and, and bow positions and all this kind of thing and just all sorts of stuff. And then kind of going down the rabbit hole of other people's work in order to try to figure out how to notate a lot of that, while then also finding new techniques in other people's music. George Crumb is a huge influence in, the, in this, you know, and particularly he's scoring because he scores like really beautifully. So um, Black Angels is obviously quite a big one. Yeah, and then in terms of text... I think I just wanted the music to kind of just like sit with the text and not be too illustrative, but just sort of be this like building sense of angst mm. that that poetry does through the movements of the po poems, this like real building tension and just, just that. It's just tension that wants to explode out of the way. Um, and yeah. So as well as writing music in a traditionally composed setting, you're very interested in collaboration and improvisation. When did this interest begin and how do these very different musical settings influence and interact with one another in your work? Hmm. I think definitely um, it's all jazz, to be honest, for me, in that sense, like big time. I think at the root of it, I'm just a massive jazz fan and nerd. Um Kind of mainly f at first just as a listener, like for a long time, you know, kind of early teenager just became really into jazz. Um, play a bit of it. I'm not like particularly amazing at it, um, but I do enjoy it a lot. And then I like studied in Glasgow that has just the, such an incredible jazz scene, quite a young jazz scene as well. So it was, when studying, it was very easy to go to bars and, and meet musicians and stuff who were playing just the most incredible jazz music. And studied a lot of it at uni, um, kind of from an academic point of view, while I was at Glasgow University and my dissertation was kind of a, a lot to do with jazz in Scotland and all this kind of thing. So it definitely, that's been a big presence. I think I'm just really fascinated by this idea of like utter freedom within music, but within a structure. Like it can be as free as it is because that structure is so solid and people and pe everyone understands that structure. So then I think as a kind of big air quotes classical composer, I think I was really interested in that because I was then also interested in Alan Tart music and Ludus Frasky and uh, Penderecki and whatnot. And actually it was William Sweeney who um, taught me at Glasgow University and was a lecturer there. I think it was just that. I think I'm really interested in that of the kind of creative voice of musicians within a piece 
beyond like the interpretation of the notes on the page actually playing within that structure and whatnot so I'm really into that particularly as well from a classical point of view it's really fun to create pieces that are like so so wildly different gig to gig for example you know and for it to be basically a bit of a jam but just giving them a structure in order to make them feel comfortable doing that because obviously I'm aware not every musician is comfortable so you're trying to kind of like meet people in the middle basically between notation it's all a big spectrum and it? it's like super free improvise nothing's written down very specifically scored I kind of enjoy floating somewhere in the middle <laughs> it's really good fun best place to be yeah and I think you've got to commit to it hard I remember someone said to me like a teacher said to me you've got to commit quite hard to this in that if you if there's a way that you want this to sound you really should just write it like that Whereas if you want it to be free and change and whatnot, then you need to be ready to be, to be happy with whatever comes out. And I think I was like, cool. Yeah, like I will be like, but I understood that. And I have had moments where I've been like, actually, I should just score this like quite precisely. Um, and I have done that before. The idea of committing to that, I think is really important. Or the whole thing of if you take something away, like bar lines or whatever, <laughs> you need to maybe give something back, like be very detailed with your articulation, for example. Mm-hmm. Conversations are always important as well. If you're working with people, what do they want to be able to see what do they want to not see you know like jazz musicians obviously all have varying degrees of what they want to read and don't want to read and you know and I think as when you're working with very specific musicians that's always great to have a good chat about that so yeah so you started the duo Long Green Jaws alongside cellist Sarah McQuinney a few years ago can you tell us about this collaboration and the work you've created together Sure. So that's like super different from a lot of this other work. Um, So Sarah and I met in 2017 when we were both uh, involved in a music course in Orkney. And uh, we had often just, um, you know, obviously just got on really well quite quickly, as well as then kind of playing a bit together. Uh, And then it turned out we're both based in Glasgow. So, you know, quite quickly chat and playing a bit became a bit more of a thing, a bit more official. And then we started to do gigs together and stuff. And Sarah is somebody who totally got me so hooked on the free improvisation stuff and really kind of led me down that path um she's just such a I find her such an inspiring musician and is hands down like my absolute favorite collaborator like friend person to make music with she's just amazing and um we started this duo where we basically Long Green Jaws um explores um ecology and rhythms and textures and patterns of coastal environments and uh, the sea and particularly coastal environments around Scotland. We play violin and cello, live electronics, some voice, any other things that are lying around. And we also have a hydrophone, which is an underwater microphone that we use on stage and we use a lot of water. So we can play with that water and record it while also projecting the water and it gets pretty visual and pretty abstract. And we have done stuff with uh, digital projections on top of that before and... uh, and it's all very improvised. It's a project I care a lot about because it's just so fun. Like, I really enjoy it. Um, it's very different to anything else that I do. But the exciting thing is that we have actually since had the opportunity to really, really develop this work in a big way. So we were asked by Puppet Animation Scotland, who we did a gig for just before the pandemic. It was actually our last gig we played. Um, they are supporting us in doing a big show, developing a big show for them um, in 2023. And um, it's going to basically bring together every little thing we've ever explored in various random little gigs, Mm. but into one big show. Because we kind of span quite a few things and it was, I guess, experimental music. But we also have this quite big visual element that means we've done a lot of like visual theatre gigs and like quite kind of arty experimental, you know, kind of more visual art experimental things. 
which is great fun because when you then whip out instruments and start playing live, people really love it. Whereas if you're doing a music gig and you start doing weird visuals with water, people also really love it. <laughs> so like we, we enjoy that. And we've done installations. We've done things for kids where we do shadow puppets and um, you know, you know, we've played long gigs for hours and hours that people come and go and we've done like really intense like little mini sessions and stuff so we've done all sorts of stuff and this show is basically going to bring all that together in that there's going to be a set there's going to be it's going to be a bit of an installation um, there's going to be lots of projections that we're going to develop in the coming months and possibly some puppetry so we're going to be doing that in Edinburgh and possibly hopefully taking it elsewhere and you know once we're doing this we'll be screaming it from rooftops so if you want to know about this follow Long Green Jaws on most things, you know, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Um, we're also doing a bit of work in North Uist this coming summer, supported by Ty Kershva, which is really exciting. So they're supporting a residency where we're going to go and develop a lot of this work. Um, so that's my thing now that I'm doing. So you know, this other stuff wrapped up and things are getting mastered and done. I'm now all Long Green Jaws and hydrophone recordings. We did go on a Explore last week, which was basically day one of our development you know, we were like, let's go and do some stuff. And I thought rather than sitting in a flat and looking at budget spreadsheets, let's go run about a beach because that's actually <laughs> how we met. So let's go run about a beach and take photos. And the two of us were just running around with Zoom recorders. And it was, it wasn't quite pouring, but it was like not a nice day. And we we're just like walking about like, and there's dog walkers kind of looking at us like, what, what's going on? Have you got anything else you would like to plug? Honestly, not really. Like, I've honestly talked about everything that's going on. Um, I think if you want to see about the work that I'm doing or have done, um, you know, uh, I've, I have a website that's fergushallmusic.com. I recently changed it from fergushallcomposer.com to fergushallmusic.com. Did you? Yeah. Because I looked for you today and I typed in Fergushall Composer. It wasn't there anymore. It wasn't there. Yeah, I've changed it. That'll be why. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and... Social media things where I might maybe post bits and pieces of music is Ferg Hall music. Um, I don't know why, because people always then can't find me, but it's just because I put that in one day, because it's what family and friends call me. <laughs> like, you know, just without the US at the end. And it means that I get mistagged and stuff. All the time. All the time. Or I don't get tagged in things. Like, some <laughs> something will be like, this music, bye. And it would just have not registered the tag because they've put in Fergus Hall music, which is my own fault. But Ferg Hall music. If you want to see <laughs> clips and stuff, yeah, all that kind of thing. So to play you out, we're going to hear Jellyfish by Long Green Jaws. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, this is just a daft piece of music that we were really into making. Um, I say that, I don't mean in a disparaging way to my own work. I just more mean it's just fun. We just like, it was, it was lockdown and we were just like, let's just make something so silly. We were not in the same place doing it. So it was all like just sending each other clips and Sarah sent me this really fun cello loop that she'd made and I just worked with it and it was really good fun. I think then I sent a clip of it to a friend and I've got this jellyfish on my desk. I think it, I think it's a Christmas ornament, but it's a jellyfish. It's got nothing to do with Christmas. Um, but because it's so cute and funny, I then don't, you know, I hang on the Christmas tree when there's a tree there. But any other time of year, it just sits on a, it hangs on a mic stand. So I think that clip had this jellyfish and my friend was like, oh my God, this is jellyfish music. And then I was really obsessed with this, you know, when jellyfish like congregate, when they breed and there would just be like a million, like three million jellyfish in one space. I was like, what if this was just like a jellyfish rave? And they're just like, what, what would the music be to a jellyfish rave? So this is called jellyfish music. I say after all of the <laughs> stuff about Hamish Henderson and Second World War and like all this jellyfish music.